Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Hi everybody, hi everybody, hi everybody, and welcome to another uh, episode of Carnivorous Couch. Just me and Brady this time. Me being Rob and Brady being... Brady. Yeah, that's right. And uh, what we're going to do this week is we're going to do a little known film, or maybe a well-known film. I'm not sure how much people know this film. But it was part of my um, film education when I was in film school. It's called Blowout. It's the 1981 mystery thriller starring John Stalling. Stalling, quit Stalling. Stalling. Uh, no, starring John Travolta, Nancy Allen, John Lithgow, and Dennis Franz. Um, well, I mean, a couple of those are minor characters. But John Travolta is, needless to say, 1981, he was hot shit. Yep. So he's the main character. And he plays a sound man. I can go ahead and bust right into this plot <laughs> synopsis. Because Brady's like, what happened? I don't know, I was sleepy. <laughs> no, no, I, I remember it now. I mean, yeah. I, I knew it at the time, but, you know. Oh, well, did we- I just give away? Well, we didn't just watch this movie. We watched it last week. Yeah, we watched it a week ago. But uh, we did a little refresher, and we've had time to ruminate on it. So, um, anyway, this film. Hold on one sec. So, this film, once again, like I said, 1981. um, It starts off with the... We're watching a, a, a movie... And it's kind of hokey, and it's really cheesy, and it's weird. And then, like, there's a killer, and he comes in, and he's about to stab this chick in the shower, and she gives this horrible screen, and we jump back. And it turns out we're we're just watching a, a cheesy horror movie um, that's not this movie. It's just featured in this movie. And the guy goes like, well, that's a horrible screen, man. And he's laughing at it. It turns out it's John Travolta, and he's the sound guy for this film. Um then they say, okay, well, you got to get us a better scream. And he goes, okay, I'll get it. I'll get the fucking scream. Um, so he's a sound guy, and he's out getting uh, new wind, I guess, is the, the reason that he's got to go outside. Yeah, new wind. Yeah, the guy says, like, what are you using this horrible wind sound for? Well, we've used it in, like, a, like a billion movies. Why, you know, we use it all the time. And he's like, get real wind. So he goes out to use real wind, and he's recording everything with a hypercardioid, uh Hypercardioid, hypercardioid telescopic microphone onto uh, good old uh, quarter-inch tape. And uh, he witnesses a car careening, like has a blowout and careens into a pond and uh, falls in the pond. And he goes, oh, Jesus Christ. And then he like shucks off all his stuff, leaves his gear by the side of the road, jumps in the ocean. It saves this girl, but then there's a senator in the car and he dies drowns in the car mm-hmm. so anyway uh he goes with her to the hospital gives the police his story talks to her and is kind of hitting on her and being like what i saved your life you gotta have a drink with me blah 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 blah. what were you doing in that car so forth and so on he goes home and listens to the tape and he can hear like a gunshot on the tape because he's got <laughs> super good ears so anyway um he goes out, hangs out with her, and goes like, uh, I totally heard like a gunshot on your tape. What what was really going on? And she's like, nothing. Nah, I was just hanging out with the guy. I don't know. I'm kind of stupid. <laughs> uh, you know, like she's playing dumb. She's kind of being airheady and stuff like that. Uh, we get his backstory at this point in time. Um, it turns out he used to wire up cops. But then a cop got killed. He's a sound man with a troubled past. You can pop in anytime you want, Brady. Yeah, no, no. He's uh he's got a dun 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 troubled past. Troubled past. Yes, because he wired up this mobster but he did a bad job and the guy got sweaty and then it shorted out the microphone and he was getting burned alive by the batteries and then they noticed that he was freaking out and then they killed him. So he's uh he's very upset by this. Yeah. But Nan- Nancy Kern, she's like in tr- Nancy Kern. Nancy Allen who plays Sally She's like totally uh, intrigued by this, and it's just like I want to hear more. And so he tells her the whole gory story. Uh, shortly after that, we find out that uh, Sally is hanging out with a private detective who was taking pictures of it because she was going to hang out with this senator guy who was in the car who died mm-hmm. and um, blackmail him afterwards. Uh, 
Meanwhile, John Travolta is telling everybody who will listen about the um, thing that it was a gunshot and it got shot out and blah, 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 blah. And uh, then there's some pictures posted in the paper and he like matches it up with film and like makes a little film reel of it with the sound and goes like, see, there's totally a gunshot right here. And like, but every time he tries to show it to anybody, the, the tapes wind up blank or like, and he's made copies, but then he has to bring the copies and so forth and so on. He's going back and forth. It's going to be on a talk show, but it turns out that the person who's on the talk show is actually John Lithgow, who's um a really weird character. What do you think of the John Lithgow character, Brady? I don't know what to think of that character. I feel like, I mean, are we given any indication of who he is, or he's just a he's like a private kind of hired assassin for well, he was hired, the government, right? He was hired to kill the the senator, I guess. Yeah, and then since then they're also enlisting him in what is maybe convoluted or maybe is just a perfect fit for this kind of movie. Oh, no, they're not enlisting him. He's gone like rogue. Oh, I thought they wanted him to create the pattern that would make it look like, you know, people who were being killed. No, no, he's like on the phone with them. Like he's on the phone with them and and he's talking to them and he's like, well, now I've got to make it look like a serial killing because oh, I've got to get rid of the girl. And they're like, that's a bad plan. We told you to nix that plan. And he's like, it's the only plan left. We're like, we disapprove that plan. And he's like, so he's like going rogue. <laughs> okay, so he's doing it for himself. And they're right. It is a really bad plan. Yeah. So he basically starts killing chicks who look like that so that he can establish a serial killer framework so that he can kill her and it'll all be blamed on a serial killer. Because he's gone rogue, man. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that, that part's kind of contrived. But then again, this film also is like capitalizing on the horror movie thriller type thing. And right. it's, it's, it's being clever. It's being cute. Perhaps too cute. But um, I, I love it. I love the way it's shot. I love the way it's put together. Um, I guess eventually he does get to the girl. She dies. And he's got her wired up in case something goes wrong. And she screams when she dies. And he uses that scream on the picture right. at the beginning. So they finally find an authentic scream in an actual murder. Right. They find an authentic scream in an actual murder. And also, like, in the course of him trying to figure out what happened, all his tapes were erased. So it was oh, the, that's right. It was the only scream he had left. It was the only tape he had left was basically um, all the sounds. Like, all the sound effects he was supposed to get were the sound effects he got from that night because he had one copy of the tape left. Right. And the only thing that he had left was her scream. So anyway, that was five minutes. But I think I, I think I got it all nailed down pretty tight that it was too much. Uh, yeah, no, that was good. So, you know, let's cruise right along. Let's uh, go to Hey, 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 How Do We Like It? All right. Back in a sec. Hey, 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 how do we like it? Who's going first? You are. Okay, how did I like it? This this may be the first time of me articulating it for myself, too, because I'm, I'm kind of, uh, and maybe this is typical of De Palma. He's just got, like, a lot going on visually, uh, but at the same time, this is very much a product of the 80s. Lots of uh, cheesy synths and saxes on the score, uh, and as Rob said, I think it's it's a blockbuster. It, it certainly is dated. Yeah, it's it does feel completely of the 1980s, and it's also a blockbuster, which is... What's funny to me is that it's kind of both this more artful uh, film about the technology, about the creation of films, and sort of it has a little bit of what its predecessor, Blow Up, the Antonioni film had, and that was about a photographer who, you know, may have inadvertently captured a murder. And I think there's at least, uh, this is something I like, that both have at least something of well, these people are in an art that's about capturing things and seeing things and, you know, authenticity. But, like, really, you know, they uh, there's also sort of this inauthentic aspect. So kind of just about what's real, like what's really real. and it, It's clever. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a clever idea. And I think it's, it's more powerfully explored and intentionally so in Blow Up. I think Blow Out just means to play a bit with that kind of stuff because it's interesting. And I think Blowout's very committed to exploring the creation of the art, very interested in how the sound arts work. Well, also in Blow Up, um, it's very, once again, spoiler-full podcast, but it's very unclear as to whether or not 
you know, by the end of the film, you still don't know if he got yeah. it on the thing, right? On this, we're very clear. And, like, it's very clear in his mind that um, the the gunshot was fired. We even get, like, a in-his-brain imagination of the gunshot being fired. It's, it's very clear that this happened, especially since there's a government operative trying to cover it up and so forth and so on, you know. Yeah, and, and in spite of his troubled past... There's no real question about should we root for this guy, which is also very much a blockbuster trope. I mean, you know, he's he's a guy with a troubled past, but he means well. Damn it! And, oh. Yeah, he's not a bad guy, and no anti-heroes here. Kind of starting to like this chick. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a movie of heroes and villains, uh, so it it loses some of that ambiguity. But I think uh, what De Palma definitely has is a really keen visual style that I appreciated. So basically, what I'm saying is it's a it's a mixed bag of things that work and things that don't. Uh, so I think I basically put it at, you know, pretty close to a B plus. Uh, like I don't t- just to look at a film I recently gave a B plus to, which was The Long Goodbye. I don't like this as much as The Long Goodbye, but I think it has a lot of interesting stuff. It's vibrantly shot. A lot of care has been put into it, and yeah, no, I I generally feel positively about it. Even That's surprising, if, I thought you would like this more than The Long Goodbye. Oh no no. I thought you didn't like The Long Goodbye hardly at all. No no, I did like The Long Goodbye. Oh okay. I just. The longer by, I just wanted more. I wanted more noiry darkness. I, want, I wanted. Yeah, anyway. Well, I mean, this kind of has that sort of feel to it too. Well, this it's kind yeah. of a solitary character. This this feels more noiry in certain ways than the long goodbye did. But I don't think of this movie as a noir as much. No, it's kind of just playing with the idea of thriller. Yeah. I mean, there 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 are some foot chases. Like for instance, it's actually kind of incredibly ambiguous because when the uh, rogue operative played by John Lithgow starts to have, you know, starts to kill chicks who look like this chick, they're wearing the exact same thing, and you're just like, wait, did they just kill the female character? What's oh, going yeah, on? Oh yeah, that that was confusing. And then like, yeah, that uh, the movie felt. I'm not sure if it was trying to do that. Or uh, if it just was unclear. I think it was just unclear, and maybe it can hide behind the guys if it was trying to do that. But that that fell a little short of uh, mastery there. And yeah. that particular time, I'm like, what is going on? Did he just kill? Or is this out of sequence? What? What? Why? So, hey, 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 how did you like it? Oh, I love this film. But um, I think I'm going to give it a B. You give it a B plus. I give it like a B slash B plus. Because I think I like it better than you, but I think it's a, I think it's about a B. It's not. Yeah, well, maybe you're right. It's, um, it's being dated, kind of drags it down a little bit. Well, see, is this is. It raises the always interesting question: all that good stuff, the ambition, and let's not leave out the fact, if I haven't said it, that De Palma's a master with his camera, like oh, really yeah. gripping it's camera beautifully, work. Beautifully shot, devilishly clever. I think one of my favorite shots, and this is the 360. When he's trying to figure out uh, why all his tapes appear blank, and he's playing each tape, and so what we get is we just get this camera, and it's just panning around the thing, and he's like listening back to a tape, and he's like, it's blank, and he gets another tape, but the camera just keeps going in a 360 motion around the room, and each time we pass him, and each time it passes him, he gets more and more frantic, and he's just like, all my effects are gone, everything's fucked, fuck, fuck, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like... And, and, like, it really just drags you in with that badness. Like, and it, I think the thing about that shot the most is that it doesn't, it doesn't speed up. He speeds up and he's moving around more and more frantic and actually you start to see him twice per revolution or whatever. Right. But the revolutions are constant. And you're just like, when's it going to get back to where? Oh, he's not there anymore. What is he doing? Where? You know, and it's, yeah, it's no, just really crazy. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So that's the question. All that, that kind of good stuff. If we're saying that stuff's really, really awesome, and then there are other stuff that you know doesn't work, maybe the fact you know that it's such a product of the 1980s that De Palma is you know isn't trying to make a super art film here. He does want the blockbuster audience to at least enjoy this, and I think that's why yeah. you get. These and that's f- evident in that title sequence when you have like blow out and you have like a needle, yeah, and like it's just like you can't even just show the title sequence very calmly. Like, right, you have to like blockbuster up the fucking time sequence. Or not time sequence. Uh, not time sequence. The uh, the sequence where they show the title of the movie. So what? It's not really a sequence. What does it mean for the quality of the movie for it to both have this artfulness, but then also to have this more cheesy, broadly palatable well, public? Like I said, I I think it's devil devilishly clever in the idea that 
it knows. It, like, it's very tongue-in-cheek about it. It's like, I know I'm being really cheesy here. Mm-hmm. Why? Because this guy's a sound guy for cheesy horror movies, and I'm mimicking that structure. Right. So, I mean, like, e- like it might not even be dated because it's from 1981. It might just be dated because it's imitating a structure that kind of has fallen out of it's imitating a structure that like it wants that, that to is dated. look like a B movie. Yeah, the B movie structure, but I mean, like a B movie from nineteen eighties is totally different than a B movie from now. I right. mean, like, like digital media, like just the idea that you can shoot a film on like uh, maybe even a VHS C camera as opposed to sixteen millimeter, like you would have had to in nineteen eighty one, um, makes it so that a cheesy horror movie. You know, like Blair Witch Project, right? Cheesy right. horror movie from nineteen ninety eight. Well, actually, I wouldn't call it cheesy. It was more verite. Right. It was less cheesy because the uh, the ability to make a low budget film, had, the technology had advanced beyond cheesy. Like you could right. you could not know what you're doing and have it not be cheesy. Yeah. If you do it right. So cheesy becomes more of a choice. Well, uh, all horror movies in the eighties were cheesy. If they were a B low budget movie, because right. you really had to know what you're doing and have the budget and have the time to develop and develop the film, shoot the film, direct the film, do all that stuff right. Like it was so complicated to shoot on film that you couldn't make an indie picture and have it not look cheesy unless you knew what you were doing. Yeah. So B movies all look cheesy because they were just interested in getting the TNA on the screen and just being masochistic about it because mm-hmm. that's what would sell for no budget. Intriguing. So I think that's the reason it it's dated. I don't think it's so much because it's 1981, other than it's John Travolta in his prime before he became like a guy who gets blown by dudes, but then not really blown by those dudes because he said that he paid them off and then they recanted their story about being his masseuse and blowing him. Um, and, <laughs> what, you know, crazy, crazy wackos, uh, Scientologist, blah, blah, blah. Like It's John Travolta before that time, which kind of dates it as well, like... He just right. looks like a different person, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he, it looks like he shouldn't have gray in his temples, because he shouldn't. But now he should, Yeah. because weird. he's fucking se- si- 60, 60-what? Yeah, he he's got to be 60-something. Just maybe not have a sheet of black hair anymore, maybe let a little little bit of gray. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. <laughs> I, I liked that hairspray look he was rocking. So anyway, B. B? This is a solid B, which I I would never say that that's a bad. Right, you convinced grade. me. I, I'm gonna go solid B too. Oh, well. Well, yeah, yeah. It's it's like some great elements and some less great elements, and they they split the difference. I think. I'm gonna make a solid BM someday. Someday. <laughs> but this movie is a solid B, much better than a BM. Yeah, no, it, this movie is better than a BM. Although I've had some pretty good BMs in my time. I'm sure you have. I remember when they were all solid. (laughs) Sorry, I'm alienating Ben again. All right, so... Send us your comments and tweets. Uh, Let us know if you have any solid BMs at C-A-R-N-Y Couch or at our Facebook page, Carnivorous Couch, or our website, carnivoruscouch.com. So uh, you give it a B and I give it a B. Yeah. But I talked you down to a movie I really like. Well, I mean, <laughs> I wanted to be sure I wasn't going too hard on it. And there's some stuff that's really so nice. Wait, the Long Goodbye gets a B plus because you like it less than this movie. No, I like but it. this I, movie gets a B. No, no, I like Long Goodbye more than this more. movie. More. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that was the entire thing. It's like, wait, if it's B plus, like, Long Goodbye is, like, a lot better in my book. And, and I give that a B plus. So maybe I need to... It just means it's all. So, I mean, you liked Long Goodbye more than this. Yeah, I gave Long Goodbye a B plus, and that was that's where I kind of had an issue, is I know that the Long Goodbye to me is a more virtuosic movie, just a, a better-made movie. So, yeah, but it's confusing because there are elements where this thing is, you know, knocking at the door of being an A-, minus, but just as often we cut away to these more standard blockbuster elements 
So, yeah, it, it's always confusing reconciling the difference between, yeah, so, something that's a great art film and something that's more just populist. And I think this movie is both, which is a little bit tonally confusing at times, uh, but I still think it's it's worthwhile. So uh, what did you think of the uh, private detective character who's obviously from NYPD Blue? <laughs> Dennis Franz? Yeah, yeah. What do you think of Dennis Franz? I, I don't really think much about that character. I mean... Do you, Start us off. What, what do you think? Well, I mean, you were just mentioning off the air about how much he shows his ass. Oh, yeah. Everything. Dennis Franz is mainly because of NYPD Blue. You know, it's a common... I was just prompting you to talk about his ass. About his ass? I I know that even Oh, no, in, that's Edward James Olmos' ass. Even in, like, City of Angels, which isn't about Dennis Franz, you see Dennis Franz's ass. Yes. Yeah. Because he's got a good agent. Michael J. Fox, I think, same thing, right? Oh, really? I don't know. I remember seeing his ass in uh, what was it called? Is it, was it called Greed? Oh, Greed. Is that a? I saw that once. Is that the one with the Beverly Hills and the swimming pool? And he's got a rich uncle or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like. That. And it's unclear. Yeah, yeah. His ass is in that movie. Okay. It's PG thirteen because of his ass. Wow. You must be thirteen or older to see Michael J. Fox's ass. Even if he's only 13, or always looks like he's 13, even when he's 50, whatever. Yeah, crazy. Doesn't he look 15 all the time? Yeah, he's always he's always looked young. Yeah, he's short. Yeah. Always wears white tennis shoes. Makes him look young. Note to everybody in the audience, if you want to look young, wear white tennis shoes. Um, so you talk about the mastery of De Palma's camera. Mm-hmm. I talked about my shot that I was like, oh, that's a great shot. Why don't you bring up a shot, mister? I mean, I think the shot you're bringing up is my favorite shot, Uh, like as a single work of cinematography. But I think what I also like is just, uh, you know, one of the more intelligent things about the movie for me is just how focused the camera is on little moving parts, on just the tiny processes of creating a film. You know, and that's what I mean. Like when I talk about the parts of this film that are great, I think it's when it's focused on what it takes to create an illusion. And even that scream thing that bookends the film, like then we're in the world of, you know, of magic, of how do we create the illusion of authenticity? And, you know, and it does, the film does a nice enough job of tying that to, by the end of the film, he's at his lowest point and he's, you know, he had an authentic connection with this woman and because of her death, he gets to have this authentic scream, but really... You know, it's not a positive thing for him. Yeah, he's back to square one. Yeah, it's so you know. I and think, once again, you know, his ability as a sound man has got somebody killed, which is kind of shitty. Right. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he should be in another line of work. Yeah, stop getting people killed, John. Travolta. But yeah, so when it's focused in, like, I love the stuff about him creating the flip book. He basically cuts out pictures of the car speeding and syncs them up with the audio. Oh, so because the uh, private detective published them in the, the newspaper? Right. Oh, he, yeah, in the he newspaper. found a way to complicate, or not complicate, uh, what's that word? Propagate? No. Um, profitize? No, I'm getting closer. Um, capitalize on the fact that he had this footage. Yeah, yeah. And it, see, that stuff's cool to me because he's. it's basically talking about the power of movies in a way. It's Well, there's this mystery... How am I going to solve it? What do I need to do? Well, I need to take the images that I have, and I need to take the sound that I've recorded, and take these parts, and I need to combine them into something that'll tell a narrative to me, that'll help me understand it. And so all that stuff's cool. If the film has a weakness there, I think it's that it definitely doesn't do as as good of a job as Blow Up does of tying them. And sometimes I felt that they were just loose, and I was able to marvel at them, but that maybe De Palma wasn't doing enough to tie them together himself. I mean, that was my favorite part of the movie was just watching his technical process. Yeah, me too. And just like also like, damn, because I'm just sitting here looking at this waveform as we record, double checking every now and then, making sure Brady's waveform is louder than... It's just like, that's so easy compared to you just have a set of headphones on and a microphone in someone's face and you can hear it or you can't. Do you have good ears or don't you? If you don't, you can't record this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, no. It's... Like me, I, I just go like, oh, well, my waveform's a little quieter. I'll bump it up on the mixer. And if it's fucked up after we record it, well, I'll just go bit by bit and uh, make it louder. 
Why? How? Well, you know, with the mouse. I just click a couple things. I don't need to re-record it and boost the gain through a mixer onto a tape or anything like that. I just fucking click a couple things, click volume, increase. All right, thanks. That's insane. Yeah. We're like what he used to do. So, I mean, that's the thing that I marvel at. Well, yeah, I think I think in those scenes, and I'm totally speculating here, but I almost want to say that there's something personal about that for De Palma because if De Palma's anything, he is an excellent visual stylist. So I, I felt the movie was most personal and had the most heart and intelligence to it when it was really De Palma kind of tipping his cap to a different kind of craftsman. Like, okay, I'm a visual craftsman, and this is a story about a guy who just understands the power of sound and what a, a beautiful, detailed thing that is to try to capture sound. And so there's something personal about him watching Travolta do his work. Okay. So a couple things I want to talk about. I want to talk about agency through technology, which okay. is heavily highlighted in this film, and a little bit more on De Palma's style, uh, like talking about the uh, the red, white, and blue lights at the end, what that might mean, so forth and so on. Uh, but we're going to do that right after we do our understudy for this week, uh, right about now. All right. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay But we've got two understudies And to be honest They're probably more famous anyway So try to catch the actors Try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y Couch This game called understudy Is happening, happening, happening Right now So Zoe Kim... And I are all in the Philippines at an outdoor rave. What you waking on? <laughs> three kicks to the head, part three. And admittedly, we're a little fucked up. Cheers to that. <laughs> so Zoe, the genius, wants to take a picture of me. It's dark as hell and you can't see shit. So she's got her camera and she keeps saying, step back a little further. So I do. And then she says, get a little further. So I step back a little further. <laughs> and then step back a little bit more. So I do. And then I realize I'm right at the edge of a seven-foot concrete ditch. With God knows how many rocks and broken bottles and, and rats in it. And if I fell into that, I would have broken my fucking neck. So I'm yelling at her, Zoe, you almost killed me. So we laugh about it and walk a little further. And Zoe starts fucking around her. Damn, if she hasn't fallen into the fucking ditch. <laughs> I remember taking a step, looking down, and just as I'm thinking, oh, there's that ditch Abby was talking about, bam, I fall in. What happened? What, would uh, Zoe the cat? Nothing. If I fell into that fucking thing, there would have been a helicopter to me out of there. Zoe just lands on her feet, but then later, I started feeling a little bad about myself, and so Zoe falls in the ditch, and it's nothing, and we're laughing about it. If I fell, I probably would have been fucking paralyzed. Oh, honey. You can't think of it like that. We all have our individual talents. That just happens to be one of Zoe's. Well, physically speaking, Zoe's amazing. I mean, agility, reflexes, nimbleness. There are few human beings that can compete with Zoe on that front. Oh, Kim, I like you too. Having said that, before you get too envious of Zoe's prowess, you're missing the most important part of the story. You didn't fall in the ditch, Zoe did. <laughs> Zoe even knew there was a ditch there because you told her and she still fell in so Lee's right we all have our talents I, I resemble that remark so Kim still pack a Roscoe check it out bitch oh, nice one oh, mate what's a Roscoe a Roscoe's a pistol you carry a gun uh huh do you have a license to carry it yeah, when I became a secret service agent, they gave me a license. You didn't... I didn't know you were a... I didn't say it. Stop looking at me like that. I didn't say it, Mr. J. Oh, well, that's Kim for you. Always taking the piss. I'm always taking a what? Don't hurt yourself. It's us bonics, mate. Did you know Kim carries a gun? Uh, yes, I do. Do I prove? No. Do I know? <laughs> yes. Look, I don't know what futuristic utopia you live in, but the world I live in, a bitch needs a gun. 
Y'all can't get around with that fact that people who carry guns get shot more than people who don't. And you can't get around the fact that if I go down to the laundry room in my building at midnight enough times I might get my ass raped. You don't do your laundry at midnight. Fuck that! I want to do my laundry whenever the fuck I want to do my laundry. There's other things you can carry other than a gun. Pepper spray. Motherfucker, try and rape me. I don't want to give him a skin rash. I want to shut that cunt down. How about a knife at least? You know what happens to motherfuckers carry knives? They get shot. Look, if I ever become a famous actress, I won't carry a gun. I'll hire me a a do-dirty cunt and he'll carry that gun. When she shit goes down, I'll sit back and laugh. But until that day, it's the Wild West, motherfucker. So, Zoe, you thought about what you... What you want to do first? It just so happens I know exactly what I want to do. Oh, really? And what would that be? To me, there's no point of being in America unless you're going to drive a Detroit muscle car. And I want to drive a Dodge Charger. Fuck me, swinging balls out. <laughs> I guess we can talk to the transpo. Does it have to be a Dodge Charger? It's got to be a 1970 Dodge Charger with a 358 engine. And how the fuck do you expect to do that? Oh, no worries, mate. I've got it all worked out. When I knew I was going to come here, I went out on the net and found out the local newspaper here in Tennessee is the Lebanon News Sentinel. So back home. I'm sorry, where's home, Australia? <laughs> what do you mean by that, mate? Zoe's from New Zealand, and you never, I repeat, never call Kiwi an Aussie. That is unless you want your ass kicked. It would be like calling me calling Kim African. Sorry. That's okay. I'm just taking the piss out of you. Auckland, to answer your question. Anyway, I subscribed to the local paper about a month ago. Now, why the fuck do you want a local redneck newspaper in New Zealand? Pipe down and I'll tell you. I've been getting the paper for the last month. And I've been checking the classifieds in the back, looking at the cars for sale. So as of yesterday, for sale in this town. Some guy is selling his stock 1970 Dodge Charger with a 358 engine and a white paint job. And you want to buy it? Kim, I may be stupid, but I'm not bloody stupid. I want to say I want to buy it, so he'll let me test drive. A 1970 Dodge Charger with a white paint job that's a Kowalski and Vanishing Point. Mate, it's a fucking classic. If I can get this guy to let me drive it without him, I'll blow the doors off that bitch. What is... Vanishing point. Oh, what's vanishing point, Abby? I'm supposed to be the illiterate one. It's just one of the best American movies ever made. Actually, Zoe, most girls wouldn't know vanishing point. Excuse me, most girls. What are you two? Yeah, well, we're gearheads, of course. We watch it. You all knew what, what <laughs> you all grew up watching that pretty and pink shit. I like pretty and pink. Oh, so you didn't watch John Hughes movies? Of course I did. I'm a girl. But I also watched car shit, too. Vanishing Point, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, Gone in 60 Seconds, the real one. Not that Angelina B- Jolie bullshit. We have an outdoor theater in Auckland that shows Vanishing Point. Big Wednesday. All the classics. That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're getting back to our discussion of Blowout, and uh, Rob, you said you wanted to discuss something called Agency Through Technology? Oh yes, Agency Through Technology. Because, I mean, he doesn't know anything when he first sees it happen. He just goes, oh, Jesus Christ, and like shucks off all his stuff and dives in to save the girl. Right. Then he goes home and listens back with his technology. Now he knows something that nobody else would know because nobody else has the technology focusing on the thing at the time. Right, yeah. Right. So, uh, and then given that, and given his ability to, and his knowledge of film, his ability to take the frames out of the, the picture and basically find the one with the little white spot, because basically what he does is he, yeah, I've used the word basically a billion times in the past 30 seconds, but one more time. Basically, um, <laughs> he takes all the still frames and he puts it all together and then he um, matches up the sound with two of the things that he can, uh, he's got two sounds. One's a uh, the blowout sound, right, and one is the skid mark sound. And he knows where those are on the tape, so he marks them, 
and then he uh, matches it up with the um, tire blowing out and the um, car tail f- moving kind of and obviously drifting a little bit. Right. Oh no, it's the splash. It's the splat. It's not the skid mark. It's the splash and the and the bang. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then through doing that, he's able to take the sequence of images, mark off the point where the splash occurs, mark off the point where the bang occurs, and basically sync it up properly. You only need two points to sync something up. And then once he's able to yep. sync it up, he's able to sync up where the gunshot should be on the film strip, and then search that particular film frame for the the muzzle flash of right. the rifle. Right. Okay. So now through his technological prowess, he has a lot more agency. He has a lot more ability to discover things. Right, yeah. He's Absolutely. he's basically able to look back in time. Which gives him much more agency than anybody. And actually us the viewer, we get that agency too because we get to watch him as his process is, you know, his process it's it's not just like, "Hey, I know this." It's like, no, this is my process. You, right. the viewer, has seen it. You now believe it, and therefore you don't even need to suspend your disbelief to agree with me. You yeah. just agree. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that's, you know, I think that's a more straightforward kind of view of technology and art that fits this story in the same way that uh, Blow Ups was more elusive. Because when Blow Up even though he has the technology, he's barely aware that this thing happened, right? Right, and it's not good enough. Yeah, it's not good enough. It's too grainy. You can't tell. But yeah, so, no, I, I like where you're going with this, because, yeah, I mean, he does kind of, yeah, it's, I mean, do you think there's a comment being made about technology's potential for achieving social justice? Uh, or is that maybe going too far, and De Palma just wants it to be there for us to draw the conclusion if we wish? Well, here's the thing is like he has all the agency and all the knowledge through the technology and then all the people that he tries to show because they're not as expert as he is and they're not as, as shall we say, geeky right. as he is, uh, they, they don't believe him and they're, un- they're unwilling or unable to get the information that he's providing them with. Yeah, correct. And uh, furthermore, you know, uh, Sally, the character of Sally, who has no technical prowess whatsoever well she does though she's well uh, she does at at one point in time she starts to get that she should be talking back to him and saying what platform she's at oh yeah that foot chase scene is great by the way but i mean she's uh she's good at makeup herself though so oh right yeah yeah yeah. yeah. well that's their connection to to the arts and film together but i mean how does her makeup help her how does it give her agency how does it give her kind of uh, a freedom of motion in this world that she otherwise wouldn't have. Isn't there a way they use it at some point? Like she, she makes up Travolta, but I'm forgetting the reason for it. Uh, she makes up Travolta. I mean, yeah, I thought it was just like a cute scene where she's kind of putting makeup on Travolta. Okay. I mean, was it they wanted to make it look like you know? Never mind. I might be remembering something else. Well, they were in the hotel room. Yeah. Right. And he was like, I got the the film, but I got to make a copy of the, the tape real quick. And she's like, aren't you going to make a copy of the film? And he's like, well, I can't do that right now. Oh, also, right there, technology is limiting its agency. I would like to have a copy of the film, too, but I can't because I don't have access to that technology right now. And if right. I were to go get it, then they might be able to catch me. So, therefore, uh, that that's another thing, basically saying access to technology can be a limiting factor. Like he's unable to make a double blind back copy of the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I agree. I I think, you know, I think the big things this movie has to say are very rooted in, in filmmaking and the filmmaking process itself. And, uh, yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, yeah, I I think, um, (laughs) what do I mean by that? Yeah, right? You can't just (laughs) say something. I I think it's rooted in the filmmaking process. Mm, (laughs) No, you know, I think think what De Palma's most interested in is, yeah, just the various craftspeople of the film industry and this, this process of creating illusion. And that's why, you know, because I think you're right, I don't think the makeup actually comes up much in the plot, but it it's this link that De Palma is very focused on this appreciation of, of people who understand all the little moving parts that go into 
making something that isn't real look real. And I think that, you know, maybe gives meaning to that ending where, you know, <laughs> basically he had to find a real tragedy and used real tragedy to create an illusion uh, for the movie when, you know, he obtains her scream. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Like, basically... I mean, she I, dies and she screams, and that is the only real good product he could supply. Yeah, and it his, comes from his, real tragedy. Yeah, and his loss, his further loss. Because, well, I mean, the other thing is he's kind of fucked, right? Because it's like, oh well, I was a communications officer for the army. I cut my teeth there. I got really good at all this shit, and then I went, uh, I'm gonna get out of the army. I'll do it for the cops. Oh, I can't do this anymore. A cop just got killed because. I wired the battery wrong or something. And then he goes, okay, well, okay, no more no more dangerous stuff. And then he's just making, like, there's even a line at the beginning of the movie where he goes, like, you're such a smart guy. Why are you still doing this shit? Why are you still making cheesy horror movies for me? And he goes, what else am I going to do? Something like that. But, I mean, like, it, he had done something meaningful with his craft beforehand, but he couldn't deal with the consequences. Right. And then even just making films and just going out and trying to get film sound, sound things like, you know, uh, bitch goes up and almost dies and he rescues her and then she dies because of him again. Yeah. Fucked again, Travolta. Fucked again. Where are your, where are your positive organs at this point in time? Hmm? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, maybe that's Scientologist uh... bastard. Maybe that's the one thing Travolta is good for, is making films. I think he needs to get out of that line of work of wiring people. That's what doesn't work. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess so. Like, he's he obviously tried, very good as a, a sound technician and very good at you know understanding the sound process. Yeah, but he can't do it without witnessing a, a murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just maybe don't get involved as much. So anyway, um, yeah, I wanted to touch on the uh, agency and the things that are illuminated to him based on his prowess with technology and the fact that nobody else believes him or nobody else gives a shit about what he's saying because they don't have prowess with technology and therefore they're they're not in on the know. They're not in on the truth, which is unfortunate for them, but also for him because, I mean, he can't, he can't convince these people if you know, yeah, they're not willing to like go down the rabbit hole with him. It's lonely being an artist. Oh, yeah. It's lonely in that rabbit hole. All I got to fuck is the rabbit. <laughs> but I ate that rabbit for dinner. Oh, yeah. Rabbit's dead. That's just a hole. Rabbit's in my belly. I'm just in the hole. I'm just in the hole. Way down in the hole. Way down in the hole. Way down in the hole. Yay. All right, uh, we're going to go do a little thing of rank it. And we'll be back after that. Rank it! Rank it! Rank it! Rank it! Rank it! Bitch! Hi, everybody. Welcome to Rank It. Bitch! So this week, I wanted to start off something that we're going to pick up from time to time. I'm a big fan of lists. That's the entire reason we have Rank It, because we're listophiles. And I wanted to start picking out random years and doing He's our... a listophile. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Not listophile. Me. And I badger Rob into following me down my path of destruction. So we're going to sometimes pick out years of films and do our top films from that year. We're going to do a top seven. See, Brady's usually seen 20 films in any given year. Oh, yeah. I've usually seen three. So we started with 2007, which I did see a good 10 films in. So 2007, to me, uh, a banner year. One of the best, probably the best year so far of the 21st century in terms of just sheer quantity of very good films. Bitch. Uh, also, the year the Coen brothers finally got their Oscar due for No Country for Old Men. So, uh, yeah, well, why don't we start off? Rob, you want to go first? What's your number seven? My number seven? Persepolis. Ooh, good choice. Yeah, I don't really uh, remember it that well, but it, uh, it was good. Uh, that's a great film. I recall it being good. Persepolis would make my top ten. It's actually it's killing me not to get to talk, talk about it because, yeah, that's a great animated movie. 
Uh, okay, well, my number seven. It was animated? <laughs> I just made Brady's face go into horror mode, but then back into smiles mode when he realized I was joking. All right, so my number seven. This one is controversial because this used to be much lower, but I think this movie is aging incredibly well. Uh, and I, they're doing a retrospective on it this year, actually. They're re-showing it, which is always a sure sign that a movie's you know gaining appreciation with time. Uh, I'm gonna say number seven, Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Just beautiful work of cinematography. Uh, unbelievable acting. Casey Affleck is totally going places. And it's also a really sly, interesting commentary on celebrity, something that the lead actor, Brad Pitt, totally represents. And this idea of how some people are made the subject of mad tabloid fixation and others just die in obscurity and anonymity. And so it's yeah, just a gorgeously made, well-acted exploration of what makes us create these ideas of celebrity in our culture. Uh, so, yeah. All right, I'll go with my number six, which is Juno. Juno. Oh, nice. That's a good one. Yeah, Juno is a good movie. Rather nice. I like Juno a lot. Uh, Very well done. Yes, indubitably. Wrapped up in a neat little package. All right. With well, a bun in its oven. My number six is one of the saddest, most disquieting movies that you could ever watch. And it's also uh, the hallmark of what's being called the new Romanian wave of cinema. A lot of uh, Romanian directors are really starting to get a lot of acclaim. This is the abortion drama, as it's known. Four months, three weeks, and two days. Takes place in the in 1989, I believe, under the Ceausescu regime. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Basically, uh, under very corrupt uh, Romanian leadership that made it very, very illegal to get an abortion essentially based on the amount of time the fetus had been, you know, based on the time since conception, you could get very strict prison sentences, you know, as much as 10 years. And that's where the title comes from. And what it's about is just this very docu-style of looking at what life is like for these two women in an oppressive society as one of them arranges a back alley abortion for her friend. And it's just, it's unbelievably disquieting. Yeah, I never understood the illegalizing abortion thing because once the cat's out of the bag and you know that you can abort things, aren't people just going to do that? It's kind of uh, weird. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right, then. Uh, That was your number five? Number six. Your number six. Oh, I'm, I went first. That's right. Num my number five is Knocked Up. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a good movie. Oh, yeah. That that one probably would make my top ten as well. Um. There have been some seismic shakeups. Like, I'll say a movie that used to be my number three of 2007, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, and it's a fantastic movie, but, like, that's even fallen because I think a lot of these are are going to age well. A lot of movies that will age well from this year. Anyway, is it me? Am I at number five? That would be correct, sir. Okay. My number five recently came up on our Pixar list. It's Ratatouille. Uh, just one of the most fantastic recent movies just about the artistic process about how some people are artists and others aren't about the joy of creating and also about the role of the critic and also just some of the best slapstick 1930s screwbally Marx Brothers style slapstick uh, so yeah just for bringing so many good qualities back uh, Ratatouille is my number five my number four would be Brady's number one which is Zodiac I didn't say anything yet. I'm relatively certain it's going to be your number one. Because we'll it's like see. one of your number one films of all time. It's it's a great film. Uh, but we will see where it appears. Yeah, that was an alright movie. I mean, it's not that memorable, but I know it was good. <laughs> alright, my, my... Get back in there, you goat! <laughs> My number four is, in fact, I remember, you know, I think it was like right after our law school grades had come out, and I didn't get a good grade in one of these classes, so I was feeling pretty bummed, but I decided to make it up to myself by seeing a movie, and it was basically the sounding call that 2007 was going to be as great as it ended up being. I saw it once in Santa Monica, 
and I was blown away. This thing just came out of nowhere. Uh, just, yeah, the, the depth of feeling in this thing, and just I think it tweaks the musical in such interesting sly ways. Uh, I'd take once over a lot of, you know, more prominently lauded musicals like Moulin Rouge any day of the week. And I, I hope they do more with this style because they really made it feel immediate. And I, I still sing those songs to this day. So, yeah, number four, Once. My number three is Once. Oh, very good. Uh, do, you, do you have anything to add? No, you pretty much said it all. I mean, I saw that with Natalie Waite, and then I read a poem about her. Oh, nice. It was called For My Military Cap. Mm. As I you remember recall. that one. Yeah. yeah, it's a good poem. I read it actually a couple nights at a poet, a couple nights ago at a law school poetry night. Law school? What were you doing with those assholes? Uh, there's this law school poetry circle that I'm a part of. Oh, oh, that's right. Okay. Hey, you should come. Uh, read some T.S. Eliot because pretty much everybody just reads T.S. Eliot. Awesome. That sounds good. Yeah. You know, it's weird looking at your glasses. Looks like one side is bigger than the other. Hmm. You might need glasses. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, number three. Guess what? It's not my number one. It's just my number three of the year, Zodiac. Well, wait, isn't that like one of your number one films of all time? Um... It's it's very highly rated, as is most of this year. So you're telling me no country and there will be blood or above that in I, your films of all time? I am telling you that, yeah. All right. I think I know what Brady's number two and number one are. However, I'm intrigued to see which one's which. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. I have not seen this list, so this is me being apt. Um, that his number two is there will be blood is number one is no country for old men. But anyway... Go on, Brady, with your number three. Well, I mean, I think, you know, a couple weeks back we talked about our Fincher films. I've said most of what I need to say about Zodiac. I think, yeah, it's just, it's such a brilliantly detailed and ensemble-driven look at, you know, yeah, just obsession over this crime and also, you know, asks interesting questions about what the role of justice is, what the limits of justice are. You know, basically the centerpiece of it all is that not as good as you think it is. <laughs> you know, the the main character isn't even a crime reporter. He's just peripherally linked to this as a all puzzle. All right, all right, I'll watch it again. <laughs> uh, get back in your pen. Anyway, yeah, Z- Zodiac is great. Oh, yeah, I kind of like that movie. Steve over there doesn't really, though. He just keeps yelling into the room. Out of the coat? Oh, no. That's the guy who puts the goat in the pen. Okay, go. Let's hear your number two. It's your goat, right? It's my goat. Steve tends to it, and I get it every now and then. (laughs) I get it on weekends. (laughs) And holidays. My number two is There Will Be Blood. All right. Because when I get the goat on Christmas, there will be blood. (laughs) Uh Hey, guess what? My number two is There Will Be Blood as well. I know it is. How did you know that? Because I know how you feel about those three movies. Oh, yeah. Well, now I know because you said Zodiac is your three. Well, no, Zodiac climbed, though. It used to be my number seven, I think. In 2007? Yeah, in 2007 it was my seven. How does that... It... Okay, unless you saw more movies from 2007 later on, I don't really understand how any thing could all right well anyway two there will be blood one no country for old men what's your number one no country for old men yeah okay we're we're done yeah that's it actually it's a tough decision for me between uh there will be blood and no country for old men but i've seen no country for old men more times and therefore i rank it higher yeah i mean yeah no it is a tough decision i I feel i mean because it's weird to even criticize because i think there will be blood's perfect but i think no country for old men's more focused in terms of like what it's about, uh, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson kind of falls into the uh, dizzy head on a swivel sort yeah. of thing. Like he, he, which is perfect. It's grandiose. Uh, I mean, it's great. It's great for what he does. But his head's on a swivel, and sometimes he tries to put too many themes in one film. 
yeah. which can take away from it. And and the Coens usually are pretty simplistic about what their theme is and just go, this is the theme. We're going to re- we're going to tell you a story and then later you're going to be like, "Oh, they really stayed on message. Good for them." But then even with but the funny thing was so many people had a conniption fit about the ending, like seriously couldn't grasp what the ending was going for. Like, yeah, even with their like staying direct, like you still had people coming away confused by it. Well, I mean, the ending wasn't really direct of No Country for Old Men. I mean, it wasn't direct. It was clear, but it wasn't direct. I mean, it speaks very directly to me, though. Yeah, um, but it was kind of taking like a side storyline and being like, this is your main focus for the next five minutes. And people were like, wait, what? What about the dude who was killing the the, the, the dude with the killing? Why is there no dude with killing right now? Because he's dead. Yeah, because Tommy Lee Jones is the main character of this movie. Yeah, no, I understand that. But, I mean, I I think people were unwilling to admit that Tommy Lee Jones is the main character. Yeah, no, they wanted it to be Brolin. Right. And the the Coens were subverting and playing with that, and that's why we don't even get to see him die. All right. I'm probably going to have to watch that for one of these. Oh, gladly. Yeah. All right, well, I guess that's our rank it. We done ranked some films. I I think I saw ten films that year. I crossed uh, three oh, off my list. Two thousand seven is if there's any year to revisit, it's oh seven. Well, I don't think of things in terms of years, Brady. I just try to see as many movies as I can, which as of late is uh, maybe one or two a year. One or two a year. I think I've only seen three or four movies this year, and the year's almost over. Oh damn! And this we is we gotta the- get you caught up, man. We're gonna do a list the end of the year year end list time oh, that's true i do tend to see a lot well no but i'll see them in january when they're doing the oscars mm-hmm. like as all the oscar screeners come out and then i just download yeah, all the movies that are oscar nominated and i just watch them all in a weekend yeah eagerly awaiting that and time. then i go like i don't know i didn't like any of those movies because i watched too many movies at once and i didn't like anything anymore oh yeah no you can't you gotta pace yourself no you'll get a no stomach I, don't. I don't pace myself dude I just do shit all day long, every day, all the time. And I get tired. And then I take it out on those things that I was uh, imbibing. Well, and okay. uh, people are like, that it. was a great movie. And I'm like, no, nah, it sucked. They're like, why? I'm like, because I already watched six movies that day. And they're like, how did you do that? I'm like, well, I watched seven movies that day. And that was the seventh. I'm so watching a movie now as I'm talking to you. <laughs> therefore, it sucks because I was tired and it had been 23 hours. All right. Well, this has been Rank It. Has it? Has it? Yeah, it has. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Well, on with the show, and uh, we'll wrap this up for you, and uh, we can maybe talk about some stuff later. Rank It. Bitch. Hey, everybody. We're wrapping it up. Wrap a wrap a wrap it up. Because we finished our discussion on Blowout, and we've done our Rank It. We've done our understudy. And uh, probably going to get some new segments in the rotation here sometime soon, but uh, haven't thought of any yet. So if you have any suggestions as to what our additional segments could be, like maybe a discussion on a freeze frame, I thought, but Brady said no, because that's visual, and I was like, well, we'll just post it on the thing and be really descriptive and crack wise very well, and it'll be entertaining. And yeah, then, as long as we visualize it, I think it could work. Or if you want something like... Uh, well, we already do rank it, so you don't want any top fives or anything. We're already doing top seven well, stuff. I mean, I'd like to do some some Oscar stuff when that becomes a thing that's happening. Ooh, Oscar stuff. Oscar. Oscar stuff. Oh, is that wait? Is that an Adam Sandler? Oh, Oscar stuff. <laughs> when are we gonna do the Oscar? We're walking to the Oscar. We do the Oscar with the conditioner is better. Stop looking at me, Swan. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, so anyway, what should we do next week? We're, uh, I don't think it's time for a comedy, so we probably won't do Billy Madison. Um, I um for for a comedy, I do want to do Harlem Nights, though. Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights. Uh, shoot off your pinky toe. I will shoot off your pinky. Toe. Go ahead, then. Shoot off my pinky toe. You shot <laughs> my pinky toe. Told you I would. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Heck, I'm, I'm just going to... I'll throw Before Sunrise out again since I did it last week. Yeah, and then I just kind of vetoed everybody and was like, we're doing Blowout. That's true. Doing Blowout this week. It was, it was your turn to pick a movie anyway, really, so... Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Tess still always wants the Iron Giant. Iron Giant's great. I, I mean. I'm down for the Iron Giant. Um... That might be a little too lighthearted, though. We might need uh, we might need some more drama in our lives. Iron Giant's not. Well, I, I mean, don't think people are ordering their triple grande with whip mochas uh, in a dramatic enough fashion after we did that comedy last week. Yeah, I guess not. But Iron Giant isn't uh, super lighthearted. It's uh, it's got that heavy vein going through it because the giant sacrifices itself. I'm gonna be way, 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 way off the wall and throw out something I haven't thought of yet, but I'm about to think of it before the end of this sentence, and that movie is. Fuck. Didn't happen for me. I thought something was just gonna pop in my head, like perfectly. What happened? It didn't. Uh-huh. Black fuzzy things. What's something that relates to black fuzzy things? Eraserhead. Eraserhead. Nice. That's a good choice. I still need to see that. It's weird. But I also still need to see it in like a fashion where I'm making myself stay awake and not just watching it on my twin bed at home after I've graduated college and don't know what to do with my life and I've already watched Lost Highway that day. That's when I watched Eraserhead. (laughs) I fell asleep. Uh, I don't have that bed anymore. So maybe... I won't fall asleep because my bed is now way more... Com- Wait, that logic doesn't work. But my bed is way more comfortable. Because that bed... You remember those twin beds I used to have? Mm-hmm. I slept on those from the age of three to the age of, like, 25. So and people always talk about their bed. Long. They're like, they're like, oh, I got a new bed. It's so comfortable. It's so much more comfortable than my other bed. That bed was three years old. I'm like, dude, my bed was 25 years old when I first got rid of it. Like, I, I've had one bed of my own until now. And then my girlfriend got a bed that's very nice, very comfortable, and I use it with her. Yeah. I'd like to get a new bed. That would be that'd be fun. You have a bed. I do. Is it 26 years old? No. Well, that's still got some more life in it. Fucking stop wasting beds, people. Swear to God, people get new beds every like 10 years or something like that. That's bullshit. All right? Should be able to sleep anywhere. What movie are you going to watch next week? Uh, okay, so... Iron Giant or I, I've Eraserhead or... Or Before Sunrise. Or Before Sunrise or Harlem Nights. Or Harlem Nights. Hmm. I think we need... an Oh, and there's also the Bad Sleep Well, right? That's five? We're putting five options out there? Well, I mean, we're just trying to pick one right oh yeah or do we want to make people tweet us nah let's take a a break from that all right well we took a break last week but we'll take a a longer Uh, break yeah okay well then um go my vote bad sleep well okay i i'm gonna go before sunrise only because i think you totally need to see before midnight before the year's out because eventually... Oh, Harvey, what do you think? I know you've been like uh, just kind of hanging out in the room pretending that you don't oh, exist. Yeah, Harvey. What does Harvey think? Yeah. Harvey kind of feels like he should make his lips move more in time with the words coming out of his mouth. There, Harvey's doing better than now. Harvey votes for the bad sleeve well. Yeah. The rabbit wants what the rabbit wants. Or oh oh who brings Roger Rabbit? <laughs> it's up to you, either one of those. Oh wait, what's Stevie want? Stevie would like to see the bad sleeper because he has not been sleeping so good. <laughs> so he wants to learn how to be bad so he can sleep well? Something like that. All right. Maybe we do that next week. We'll work it out in post-production. We'll work what? out what we're doing in post-production, or? I don't know. <laughs> well, 
For those of you who weren't uh, paying attention or using your eyes because you can't because this is a podcast, you weren't using your prowess of sound to use the two microphones, bounce them off the walls of the room and determine that each of our hand puppets have decided to vote for the bad sleep well. Well. We'll be doing that next week. All right. Catch you next week, folks. Yeah, and by the way, Brady, fuck your sweater. I don't like that color. Hey. That's fair. Here's the theme song. Carnivorous <laughs> couch. Shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob. I'm just taking the piss out of you. Stevie would like to see the bad sleeper because he has not been sleeping so good.